is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 253, recorded Wednesday, March 2nd, 2016. Welcome to March, Jason. Uh, welcome to the podcast, everybody. How's it going for you this week? Not bad. Does it, is that statement uh, in like a lion, out like a lamb? Is that for March? Or is that just beware the Ides of March? I forget. Um, I don't think in like a lion, out like a lamb refers to March specifically, but... I thought it was just it March. Could, could well, be April. I don't who know. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? We got a bit of a storm. Just, you know, a little piddly one. I had to shovel this morning. <laughs> yeah. No, we got, uh, yeah, not not the biggest storm in the world. I mean, it it shut down the school buses here near well, me today, yeah, which is uh, silliness. I wouldn't characterize it as a storm. I would characterize it as it snowed. Exactly. It was like six inches of snow. It was no, yeah. big, no big deal, really, for us. The, the news today uh, at, around, at five-ish was uh, they were interviewing this girl who was complaining that they didn't uh, have a snow day at school. She's like, I slipped four times and almost fell down on the way to school. I almost died. <laughs> yeah. You were that this close. <laughs> I was this close. This I close. almost fell down in the snow. Wow. You should have shut the whole school down. Yeah. Well, you know, six inches of snow if you're in Jacksonville, Florida, is probably a big deal enough to shut down schools. Here, I got to say, it didn't seem like that much at all, really. No. It just it snowed. It took me half an hour to shovel my driveway. I was done. Yeah. And you were done. Well, I didn't know we were going to talk about the weather, but uh, hopefully this is the last snowfall we get and we can just move right on into spring now because I'm looking forward to some spring weather mm-hmm. coming up, even though most of the winter has been almost spring-like. It's been the wimpiest winter ever. We can here. go from shoveling to yard work. That's right. Shoveling straight into yard work, which is a whole other thing. So, <laughs> All right. Well... Welcome to the show, everybody. This is our feedback show for The Walking Dead Season 6, Episode 11. But to make up for the fact that we missed, well, I should say screwed up our feedback show last week. <laughs> yeah. I guess missed it is, is appropriate, too. Well, we didn't miss it. Well, We you... screwed it up. Everybody <laughs> else is missing it. You and I, yeah, we did it. it. It exists in some form. It will be the lost episode that is never to be released. Oh, yeah. You just released my half of the whole thing. That'd be fun. That'd be so weird. My audio was fine. <laughs> it was. It was, to be fair. Um, but anyways, because that didn't happen last week, we are. I have, I have made a choice selection of a few of the emails from, from last week that we're going to start with. So uh, let's, let's jump right in since we have a little bit ex- extra this week, and uh, we'll start with some feedback about Season 6, Episode 10. Cool, cool, cool. Listener feedback. Okay. Email number one about the next world comes from Katie in Atlanta. And Katie says, guys, you were so wrong about last week's episode. You were so wrong that even though I normally just enjoy hearing the comments of others, I had to log in and tell you how wrong you are. In the management world, we refer to a thing called stress and release. The theory is that after a high-intensity season, you allow employees a moment to catch their breath before another big push. This is what the next world was. It was our chance to exhale after a high-impact mid-season premiere. They didn't give us nothing. They took away the zombie slaying and gave us humor and love, two things we don't get much of in an apocalypse. Very true, Katie, and uh, I would like you to come and work for my company because uh, <laughs> we've been in the stress portion of that stress and release for a couple of years now, like 10, and uh, I look forward to uh, someday having that uh, that release. Jason needs a release. Retirement. That's what I need. <laughs> well, you're not quite there yet, my no, friend. No, no. But Katie does make a good point. I mean, it can't all be intense action. We do need the the humor and love once in a while. And and humor is actually something we get pretty sparingly on this show. You know, Eugene's funny, and there's the odd joke, but it's not a very humorous show. No, it's definitely not a humorous show. And like my drum, uh, my first drum instructor, Jim McComb, used to say, if you accent everything, you accent nothing. Right. So that's what we're doing. We are, uh, we're bringing it back down to a lower a slower pace for a little while with that that episode and love too i mean 
there ha- there are relationships on this show. There are uh, either romantic ones or family relationships and so on. Um, but you don't get that. Well, I don't know. Maybe you do get it on this show a little bit because uh, it's it's generally depicted as love amongst tragedy, though, right? So your loved one is dying or turned into a zombie or is horribly injured or something like that. Whereas in the next world, we got two characters, uh, Rick and Michonne, coming together, forming a new relationship, which is uh, something we've seen a little bit on the show, but not, I don't think, to this degree. Yeah, they came together and uh, formed a relationship for some reason. For some reason. (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully it'll get less awkward as we go on. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. All right, next we have an email from John in Pleasanton, uh, California. Wow, in my opinion, The Walking Dead just went from one of the best episodes of the series to one of the worst. Yes, I know when watching we have to suspend disbelief, but almost everything in this episode was beyond ridiculous. From Rick and Daryl's, who can be referred to as dumb and dumber, from their escapades to the stupid forest scene to Deanna's miraculously miraculous trek through the forest looking almost as good as a living human and finally Rick and Michonne getting together. <laughs> this last one can can you say absolutely no chemistry? It was so awkward I didn't believe it for a second. Seriously, this episode was so ridiculous I'm so close to giving up on it. So that's the other side of the uh, coin right there. Yes. <laughs> you know, Katie in Atlanta who really enjoyed this for valid reasons. John in Pleasanton, California, seems to really have hated it for also kind of valid reasons. So this was a really polarizing episode, um, and I can I can feel both sides when it comes to the Next World episode ten because I was pulled in both ways. I thought there was some stuff. My initial reaction was like, you know, there's this is all pretty much garbage. Like I don't I don't uh, I don't understand why Deanna's out there. I didn't like the forest scenes at all. Thought they were cliche. Rick and Daryl made a series of dumb decisions um, for two characters who should be very good at what they're doing. Um, So I was kind of more on this side of things at first. I can see Katie's points, though, and I've evened out into sort of the middle a little bit. Yeah, I think I'm with you. And as long as John is not actually disparaging Dumb and Dumber, I mean, referring to uh, Rick Mm -hmm. and Daryl as Dumb and Dumber, I mean, he's not really saying Dumb and Dumber was a bad movie. Because it was a pretty good movie. Dumb and Dumber 2 was a bad movie. Did not but, see number two, but yeah, number oh, one was fun. Just keep it. Just keep it that way, my yeah. friend. I wish I could go back into that, uh, back, back into that hole. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so they made dumb decisions. I, I agree that Rick and Michonne don't have any chemistry or didn't in that last scene. Uh, but uh, don't, don't give up on it, uh, John. Just, uh, you know, stick with us. We'll be your, uh, your support group That's... Uh, no matter what happens. That is one of the things we are here for, you know. And even if you do give up on it, continue listening to us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just don't give up on us. That's right. That's the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the recaps will just be enough. Maybe. Maybe. That's right. That's You can visualize it in your mind any way you want then, and uh, it could be amazing. That's true. Uh, next up is Nana in New York. I got to say, I'm all for cheery, lighthearted moments on The Walking Dead, but I think the change in tone from last week's episode to this week gave me whiplash. Obviously, there has been a time jump. While it's always nice to see our heroes have the happy, endearing moments they are so desperately owed in the zombie apocalypse, it would have been nice for us as the viewers to see the characters recover physically and emotionally to reach this healed place. In a sense, this episode honestly felt like it should have been the mid-season premiere, as we, the viewers, would have experienced the same time jump as the characters. So, along these lines about healing, I was thinking about something on the way home from work today, Jason. And that is how shockingly nonchalant they were about Carl getting shot in the eye and his recovery from that. I know when it happened, um, it was a big deal. You know, he says, Dad, he goes down, Rick panics, he he, he uh, carries him... Um, into the uh, infirmary there and then goes on his zombie-killing rampage. And, I mean, that was a big deal for sure. And then we got that final scene with um, uh, Carl in the bed, and that's kind of what motivates Rick to want to make Alexandria into something and into something better, right? And he says, I want to do it for you, Carl. Right. So 
even that moment, the whole thing was about was about Rick and about what this did to him and how it changed his mind. And then we jump eight weeks into the future, um, into the next episode, and Carl is, he's got an, an eye bandage on, sure, but he's up, he's essentially healed, he's walking around, he's doing um, tennis ball training mm-hmm. <laughs> to get his depth perception back. And there's no emotional recovery for Carl. And I, I was thinking to myself on the way home, sure, maybe two months is enough time to physically heal from something like that, at least enough to the point yeah, where you can get started yeah. to get started. But is that enough time to sort of like, just get back to your normal life and not have any residual emotional issues from getting shot in the face? Well, in a normal world, yes. But in the zombie apocalypse, you probably, uh, you know, have a lower bar as to what normal is. If you're up and walking around and not dead and not undead, you're doing all right. Oh, you know, emotional yeah. uh, emotional stability is secondary to physical survival. So it does make sense, is, is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, get up and get moving because uh, if you're just going to sit and wallow in your own self-pity, you're going to get yourself dead pretty soon. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. I mean, I was thinking of it from, I guess, a more real-world perspective where, you know, you're shot in the face. Two months later, um, if you're recovered enough to be out of bed and bouncing a tennis ball and holding the baby and all that kind of stuff, you might still be emotionally messed up from that. Yeah. You know, but in this kind of universe, you just don't have that luxury. So you either get over it or or sit around and get killed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, I, I mean, okay, that that's a good point. But uh, part of me still feels like we missed a lot there. And we jumped from, you know, Carl going through this horrible thing to being totally recovered and... Like, what happened? Like, yeah, that's fine. I'm okay with it. In D&D world, you gloss over healing. Like, sure, it takes you six weeks, eight weeks, ten months, whatever. You know, you, it's it's boring to, to role play that, and it's kind of boring to watch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, glossing over it is fine. We know we have, you know, we have all the information we need. He recovered. He's doing okay. He's a little bit messed up, but uh, he's got his racquetball. Yeah. He's, he should be fine. Tennis ball. I, I mean, I'm not. Was it a tennis ball? I thought it was a racquetball. I don't know. I'm was it sure. blue? I think it was a tennis ball, but it was a ball. He was bouncing on the wall. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, I I agree with you that maybe it's not that uh, exciting to watch, but I'm not entirely convinced it's completely lack of. It's completely not compelling. What's the opposite of compelling? Incompelling, uncompelling, discompelling. I, I'm pretty sure it's not totally De- uncompelling. Decompelling? No. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways. Stupid English. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, that's all I was I was going to say. Um, uh, and I think that's sort of what Nana in New York was getting at. So I don't know. Maybe someday we'll get a flashback of Carl's two months of healing. Nah. And we'll see. It's gone. Even if we do, it'll still be more about Rick and what it makes him realize and want to do and do for Alexandria. So. Yeah. All right, go on to the next one. Thank I'm you, Nana. Fine with it. Yeah, that, uh, next we have Paul in Bakersfield. Carl thinking that Spencer should be the one to put down Deanna, maybe trace back to Carl's losing his mom. Uh, he put her down before she could turn, and maybe he's got he got closure from that. Maybe he felt Spencer could get similar closure. Yeah, so a few people pointed this out, that uh, the reason Carl would, would want Spencer to put down his mom is because he had to do that. Yeah. And he was young. Children are impressionable. That's kind of his his life experience so far. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that, like, he believes really now that that's sort of what you've got to do and the way things should be. Yeah. So when given the opportunity, you should be allowed to shoot your own mom in the face. In the right circumstances. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just walk around doing that. No, but you can't deny somebody from the opportunity of being able to shoot their mom in the face either. Exactly. And I think that's where Carl is is coming yeah. from. For someone like us or some other character, it might not be so easy to get to that point. But Carl's like, I had to do it, so everyone else should have to do it. Yeah. Or at least have the opportunity to do it. That's true. Yeah, okay. Uh, all right, one more here before we move on to the next episode, and this is Heather on the internet. Why would Rick and Daryl abandon a well-running car to both climb into a truck that has been sitting there for months or years? I get it was full of food, but wouldn't it be smarter to have one of them in the car and the other in the truck in case they broke down? 
Yeah, I would agree. And I think we've gone into the realm of dumbass and dumbasser yeah. instead of just dumb and dumber because, uh, Heather, you're brilliant. Uh, they should have a lead car and a schmo driving the truck rather than everybody piling into the truck. That's what I think. I mean, the car is a valuable tool in and of itself, right? Yeah. Why leave it there? Why take the truck and come back later for it? Like they believe they even said in the episode, just drive in a convoy. Uh, you yeah. know, you're you're better off. I think you're safer that way anyways. Yeah, and you get to sing convoy while you're doing it. Convoy. <laughs> See? They can do that all the way home. Plus, um, Gerald doesn't have to listen to Rick's uh, crappy music. That's true. If they're in No, he can listen to his own crappy music. That's right. Whatever that may be. Although I don't think Rick would list, would play the music on the way back to Alexandria, because then you're leading zombies to the town. You only play the oh, music on your way out. Well, maybe he plays it really quiet, and he puts on his Nina Simone or uh, Erica Badu <laughs> or something. Something a little more relaxing. Sure. Why not? Maybe. <laughs> and he rolls the windows up so no one can hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he doesn't have to sub, uh, subject Daryl to his, uh, his uh, Erica Badu. Yes, because that would probably make Daryl go even more insane. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Erica Bud. All right. Well, uh, that's five selections of our feedback we got for the next world. Thanks to so much to everyone who wrote in. And again, sorry that we screwed that up last week. But uh, you five people are the winners <laughs> who got your emails on the show. So just because it's silly, we're going to now do this. Listener feedback. All right, now we are going to start listener feedback for Season 6, Episode 11, Knots Untie. And as we do, I want to talk about the ratings for a second. So this episode had 12.79 million viewers. Mm. Pretty good, but it's down a little bit from the week before when they had 13.48 million. And in fact, each episode since they've come back from the mid-season break has been down just by a percent or two each week. So there hasn't oh. there hasn't been a fluctuation like any big fluctuation. It's a it's a slight trend down a little bit. That's the worst kind. It, you know, because if it if it drops into the floor, everybody can scramble around and go, "What the hell happened?" And then you have, uh, you know, fifty or sixty yes men going, "Well, it's because of this. It's because of that." You know, we had the Oscars. You know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So there's uh, all kinds of. Uh, speculation and they can shrug that off. It's like, oh, next week will be better or they can change something to make things more excited, exciting or put more money into a marketing budget, blah, 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 blah. But if it's just ever so slightly down, down, they just might go, well, maybe it'll be better next week. Yeah, there's like, we don't have to do anything. Yeah, but, we don't have to do anything. It's slightly down. Things fluctuate. Everything's fine. Yeah, but but maybe that's a good thing. I mean, you don't want them to overreact. Right. If the ratings vary too much, they might be like, oh, my God, what do we do? Fire all the writers, get all new people, maybe reshoot some stuff. we got to retool this whole show to get back into the, you know, whatever range we think is acceptable. Yeah. And we don't want that to happen. We want we if if they feel like they're on the wrong path, you want small course corrections, right? You do. But I just I'm thinking this slight downward trend week by week, just ever so slightly a little bit lower than the week before. Eventually, somebody's going to wake up and go. You know, this show hasn't really been doing well for the last little while. Yeah. Maybe we should just cut our losses. <laughs> Can you imagine? I, yeah. Why, why don't we redo Gilligan's Island or something? I can. we're due for a Gilligan's Island uh, reimagining. I'm, surpri- know that's right. I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. Yeah. Which is funny you bring that up. My boss earlier today said that he watched some Gilligan's Island recently and said it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, well, it is terrible. <laughs> yeah. But maybe if they remake uh, it. Yeah, we could get uh, Allison Bree as uh, Marianne, maybe. Well, I'm on board already. Yeah, perfect good work. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start off here. So we have uh, Paul in England. Uh, I'm almost certain that the UB4 so- UB40 song "Rat in My Kitchen" is that the name of the song? "Rat in Me Kitchen." "Rat in Me Kitchen" means nothing to you guys over there, apparently. Uh, but I heard the most recent episode of your podcast and couldn't resist in making this. Did you see how they left the door to the RV open? Definitely a great way to invite a stray zombie in. There's a zombie in the shitter. There's a zombie in the shitter. Yeah. Yeah. 
they wander into places such as open doors. RV doors, I know. That's the worst idea. Yeah, you come back to the the RV to get it out of the sinkhole there. There's a zombie in the shitter. There's a zombie in the shitter. (laughs) You don't want that. No, you do not want that. All right, so are you familiar with the song Rat in Me Kitchen? I am not. Neither am I, and neither... Uh, neither was I before uh, Paul sent this in, but uh, I went and played it on YouTube, and uh, you you basically heard the song right there. So he he overlaid a few of our clips, especially you saying there's a zombie in the shitter instead of there's a rat in me kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. And I thought the first time I listened to it, I was like, this is weird. And then I went and listened to the original song, got a little feel for it came back listen to this again and damn near died laughing because it was pretty funny and it's good i tried to in that conversation i tried to work in the phrase shitters full but i couldn't do it (laughs) so now i have the opportunity to just blatantly say it yeah that's right from uh, christmas vacation uh yes i love that movie yeah but i don't even remember you saying there's a zombie in the shitter but i think i might go back cut that out and it'll be a uh it'll be a clip we can we can drop anytime we want that's true because it certainly is uh, pretty funny stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Paul, for making that. That was yeah, totally thanks, totally weird and totally hilarious. All right, so next we've got a call from Helene in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, hi, Chris and Jason. My name's Helene. I'm calling from Melbourne in Australia. Um, just, I've got a couple of things, a few things actually. One is thank you for pointing out that man ca- crawling away from the, the building in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen. That gave us all a laugh here. The other thing I wanted to um, bring up is my um, my ideas about what's going on between Daryl and Denise. Remember in the hospital um, series um, when Maggie's sister was killed and Daryl and Carol were in um, a refuge, a women's refuge, and when they were in there, um, I think it was in there or it was in the hospital, Daryl actually picked up a book and slipped it into his... Um, bag that was a book about um, survivors of child abuse and Denise I'm pretty sure was a psychiatrist Um, that was her that was the path that she was taking with her medical degree was into psychiatry Um, I reckon there's going to be we're going to see something there about Daryl and his childhood and Denise is going to be there because they've already set Denise up as somebody who brings people um, you know out of themselves is able to talk people through things um, you know, like she did with the um, with the wolf. Anyway, thanks for the show. Um, it's always good. Bye. All right. Thanks, Helene, for that. So um, Daryl uh, and Denise, the Daryl and Denise relationship and mm-hmm. how uh, Helene points out that, you know, she was studying to be a psychiatrist before the zombie apocalypse, which is something I didn't realize. So I'm not sure if that came up on the show, but I went and looked up the character on the Walking Dead wiki, and she does indeed, or it does indeed say there that she was studying to be a surgeon at first, but couldn't handle that. So switched to psychiatry at some point. That was her, you know, that was her pre-apocalypse sort of story. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So I think that did come up in the show. That's uh, part of the concern why she didn't think she would make a good... Uh, Alexandria doctor right. because she's a psychiatrist. I didn't <laughs> yeah. like blood. I, you know, I studied to be a surgeon, but uh, that didn't work out. So I wanted to be a psycho- psychiatrist. So that's, so that's interesting. So it makes sense that she's, you know, I mean, getting close to Daryl, he's kind of a little bit of a damaged individual. And if, you know, if he picked up a book earlier on about uh, childhood survivors of abuse kind of thing, uh, you know, maybe she wants to to help him out a little bit, and we're gonna, you know, have we're gonna have an episode probably where it's just him sitting in a in a chair, tell talking about his childhood. <laughs> All good fun, <laughs> yeah. And you never know, but it does put some context behind their, you know, early their relationship, even though it's still sort of small at this point, right? Right, right, right. Um, but it's a good it's a good catch. It's great. Thank you, Helene, for that. That makes sense. All right, next we have Mud Hut Marty in Auckland, New Zealand. 
about Rick apparently blowing off Carl's comment about his messed up face not making a good impression. Rick had three options at this point. One, nod and say, yeah, your hideous face would just scare the crap out of them. (laughs) Or two, blatantly and uh, untactfully lie saying, no, your face is fine. You can barely tell when your eyes got utterly destroyed. Or three, understand his teenage son is depressed and struggling to deal with the sudden change in his life, so neither acknowledge nor deny his statement. I think he took the best of those three options. Yeah, I mean, I still think it was a bit of an odd scene for Carl to be like, you know, I'm going to stay here, keep this place safe, and who wants to see a kid with a, you know, missing eye? I mean, his own dad, you'd think, would have something to say about that, but instead he hands him a baby and walks away. Well, (laughs) yeah, and I can understand it. You neither, you know, if you don't know what to say, keep your mouth shut. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of wisdom in just uh, keeping your trap shut when uh, things go a little weird. So you you know by denying it you could uh, you could belittle his uh, his feelings yeah. like make him think that his feelings don't matter or you could say you could try and bolster them saying you know your face is fine you can see out of one eye you've got your tennis ball uh, you should be you should be okay uh, or or you could just say you know I respect your decision to not want to come and uh, here's a baby uh, yeah I guess so I mean it's What's the saying? If you uh, if you open your mouth, people know exactly how stupid you are. If if you keep quiet, or what is it? <laughs> yeah, it's something like that. It's basically if you keep your mouth shut, they think you're smart. But if you open your mouth, they know exactly how smart you are. Yeah, something like that. That's 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 what it is. So you know, I guess I guess Rick just decided to keep his mouth shut here and hope for the best. Yeah, that's what I generally do. Uh, yeah, that's fine if you're, you know. Uh, in a, I don't know if in other circumstances, but maybe not necessarily when you're, when you're talking to your own son who needs advice, advice and help. But this yes, just, but maybe that's not the time for it either. Maybe they just had a, you know, uh, a three hour heart to heart about, uh, you know, his face and how he's uh, still adjusting and all that kind of thing, all right. that kind of thing. And, uh, Rick was just kind of acknowledging that, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I respect your decision and I'll give you as much space, uh, as you want. But it also kind of, it also kind of goes back to my feelings of Carl being, you know, emotionally uh, distraught about this whole thing. He clearly seems not to be, and we've just kind of glossed over all that. He's he's just a very, I don't know, he, he has has great mental fortitude or something. He came back from this traumatic event with no effect from it. It seems like. Well, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe some people are just like that. So. Next up, we've got Jess in Toronto, who says, Maybe it's just me, but I feel like the exploration of Abraham's lady problems this episode was a bit ham-fisted. The scene where he gets up and leaves the necklace Rosita gave him in the dirt, ostensibly suggesting he's choosing Sasha, felt sort of like being beaten over the head with blatant foreshadowing. Ooh, sounds rough. Yeah, now... Um, I remember talking a couple days ago about not being able to figure out what voice he heard. So I went back and checked the subtitles and the subtitles actually say Sasha's voice. Maybe that's why, because the way things go. (laughs) I don't know what that means exactly. Um, Mm. But I bet you it's some dialogue of hers from a previous episode. Uh, Maybe the one where they were out... um, uh, on the road together, stuck in that office building, remember? Yes, yep. Um, possibly from that one. I'm not sure exactly what they're getting at in this context, but I have to believe now that uh, Abraham has indeed decided to choose Sasha, and he's going to have to go and sort things out with Rosita, you know, back at town. That's going to get messy. It is going to get messy. I mean, the only thing I can say is... At least he's made a decision. The worst thing he could do would be to string both of them along. And, oh, yeah. Right? And not and not pick one. It's yeah. going to be messy. It's going to be tough. If he breaks it off with Rosita, it's not like he can move to a different city and get away from her or just not see her in the crowd because there's only 55 people there. Yeah. You know, he's going to see her around and it's going to be awkward. But uh, at, the le- at least he's made, a, he's made a decision, I think. Yeah, it's true. I've done that stringing along, and I've been the one strung along, mm-hmm. and neither one is fun. No, 
it's it doesn't sound like a good thing at all, really. No. So. But uh, on the plus side, the uh, uh, when I was stringing along, it wasn't by choice. I couldn't make a choice. That was the problem. I couldn't make a choice. But the uh, the one I didn't choose, uh, she moved back to Japan because she was. Uh, just here on a on a, a visitor's visa for a little while, but eventually moved back to Japan. So I didn't have to deal with her anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> probably not going to happen with Abraham and Rosita if indeed he uh, he breaks up with her. No, that's a completely different situation. You basically, uh, it's like breaking up with your roommate. Mm-hmm. That's just not good. That you sleep with. But that being said... Well, like Rick and Michonne. Right, that's, that's right. <laughs> I was going to say, though, we now have the hilltop, so maybe Rosita can move to the hilltop and they don't have to see each other every day, at least. Right. Right? They that, that's true. They introduce a new settlement or camp, and suddenly somebody wants to move there for obvious reasons. So, Well, maybe she'll hook up with uh, Eugene. <laughs> he's, look, he's hiding in the closet anyway, right? <laughs> I like the way that you kind of creep around in the corner and watch me have sex with this guy, so maybe I'll give you a try. Yeah, that's right. I don't think that ever happens in real life. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. No. Uh, boy can dream, though. Yeah, that's right. All right, ne- next we have uh, an email from George uh, in Byron Bay, Australia. I just had to write about Rick's next stabbage on Ethan. This scene really made me think about what us as viewers find socially acceptable and do in the Walking Dead universe. Watching the Hilltopians living out their peaceful lives, then turning around to see a psychotic-looking man drenched in a comrade's blood would have scared the living fuck out of me, <laughs> and I'm sure you guys alike. Just imagine for six seasons we were following the Hilltop community and Rick came in and did that. It would be terrifying. This scene really established for me where Rick's headspace was and how the Hilltop folk aren't used to seeing this kind of violence. I'm sure it'll be interesting to see uh, who within the Hilltop will shit scatter and scream or who will stand and wield spears when Negan comes into the picture. Right. So really, really interesting point by George here. You got to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And if we'd been watching the Hilltop all this time and then Rick shows up, we'd be like, that guy's such a dick. <laughs> He's totally stabbed that guy in the neck. Yeah. Got a face full of blood and stood up like it was nothing. Yeah. And we'd be like, that's the worst villain we've ever seen on this show. Absolutely. You know? I wretched and ran but, after, while pooping myself. <laughs> God. I hope TV doesn't make you do that very often. No, but no, I'm saying if I was there in reality. Oh, like I If I was actually standing there and that <laughs> happened, those are the uh, the sequence of events that would uh, occur that is almost what... immediately after uh, being uh, carried out. After witnessing it. Yeah, okay. It, it's also the exact same steps I would take if ever coming face-to-face with a minotaur, by the way. Well, I don't blame you there. I would poop myself and then turn and run. Min- minotaur? <laughs> God. <laughs> Running? Well, after having done that, <laughs> just sounds... Horrific. The only hope I have is the Minotaur would go, ew. And then, That's right. And forget about me. Because he is half horse, after all, right? So he's, get, he, he's got the, he's the body of a man, the head of a bull. Oh, body. No, is what's the other? What, what do you call it when it's the other way around? Uh, that's a half, half horse you, guy. Uh, <laughs> there's a word for it, right? Yeah, it's a uh, centaur. A centaur, that's yeah. right. Okay, well, that's, Minotaur is uh, the bull guy in the, uh, the labyrinth. Okay, sorry, I was thinking centaur. Either way... Oh, I centaur I'd be fine with. I'd be like, you know, th- that guy seems cool. It's kind of weird that he has two chests, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the distinctions you make fascinate me sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, anyways, the other thing that occurred to me here is that, you know, we learned from Gregory... Uh, or maybe Jesus, that Negan shows up, immediately kills a guy from the hilltop to sort of assert his dominance over them. Rick shows up, immediately kills a guy. Not really for the same reasons, but, you know, he killed a dude. Mm -hmm. So then you think about the deal that they make for 50% of all their stuff, and I know it's not exactly the same because it's not an ongoing deal, I don't think, but Rick's group, has not behaved all that much differently than what we know of Negan's group so far. It's an interesting parallel, I think. From what we know, yeah. You know, I still think we're going to find out that Negan's group is a bunch of hardened, real bastards. But, you know, as it stands right now, that's kind of what Rick's group is looking like. So, yeah. 
you know, I wouldn't blame the uh, Hilltop people if they were a little trepidatious about this whole thing. Mm -hmm. All right, next up, we've got Michael from London. Michael says, I'm not sure about you, but I like when our heroes are defensive or fight only when they have to, rather than uh, what they are like now, which is like trained mercenaries. I know that, that time has passed, hardened our heroes, but to go from normal people and a sheriff to a SWAT team isn't something I liked. Yeah, so now they're they're going on the offensive, right? They're using their hard-earned survival uh, confrontational skills uh, as a weapon rather than as a shield. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, actually. Yeah, um, yeah I you know it's it's I guess it could go either way. I mean, as as a group in the zombie apocalypse. You kind of use the tools that are at your disposal, I would think. And uh, in this case, Rick's group, they have become a pretty formidable group of uh, people. I was, gonna, I was hoping you'd say they, they became a, uh, you know, a formidable bunch of tools. <laughs> well, they're a formidable bunch of tools. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean... Yeah, again, if it's if if it ends up being sort of one-dimensional and this is all they ever do, become really aggressive and attack people, um that'll get boring. So they got to uh they got to mix it up a little bit. They do. All right. All right, next we have Jeremy in East York, Toronto, Canada. I very very specific. I used to live in East York. Yeah. I've been in East York. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, he say, writes, uh, this isn't going to end well for our crew. They're getting overconfident, and it's going to bite them in the ass. Their hubris at having defeated the governor and the termites is going to cost them. The only question is, who is going to die? Glenn, about to be a dad, so hope equals dead. Abraham, appears to be looking forward to the future for the first time, so hope equals dead. Or someone else, would love to hear your thoughts. I don't know who is going to die, but I am pretty sure one or multiple people are going to, of the core sort of cast, are going to be killed off before the end of season six. Yeah. So somebody's going to emergency and someone's going to the morgue. That's, that's a Eagles song, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't listened to the Eagles in a long time. <laughs> I'm going to look that up. Um, but yeah, uh, could be Glenn, could be Abraham. Could be both. Maybe Daryl will get killed off. I just think there is going to be some rather significant, shocking death uh, before the end of this season. Um, we haven't lost a, a core character in quite some time, I don't think. I believe Tyrese is the last one. Right. That's true. Uh, it's been a while. I think we may have an email mentioning that, too. So uh, I'll have to credit that person if it comes up. But it's been a while. So, um, you know, like I've said before, I don't want them to kill people just for killing people for the shock value. But at the same time, I think we're due <laughs> uh, or the show is due and we may not have to wait that long. So ah, that's there true. you go. Yeah. It's the Eagles lyrics from uh, New York minute. It's uh, lying here in the darkness. I hear the silent sirens wail. Somebody's going to emergency. Somebody's going to jail. There you like, go. Nobody's going to jail. Somebody's going to the morgue. Yeah. Somebody is going to the morgue. And by the morgue, we mean the, pine tree cemetery in Alexandria right? <laughs> or somewhere worse. Who knows? Oh, I see. That's why I know this lyric because it was that uh, someone's going to emergency is the uh, title of a West wing episode. And that's why I would know that it all comes full <laughs> circle to you, man. Everything comes back to the West wing. It seems to. Yeah, it yeah. seems to. All right. Tom in Delaware, Ohio writes, my holy crap moment was when the group walked into the hilltop. As a fan of the comics, it was very cool to see it for the first time. I have liked other sets in the past, like the prison, Woodbury, Alexandria, but this one felt like they lifted it right out of the pages of the comics. Top-notch job done by the show staff. Nice. And it did look pretty good. I mean, um, I saw some comparison photos of, you know, some of the shots of uh, them entering the hilltop with uh, with still frames from the comic, mm -hmm. and it's it is very similar. It is pretty well done, right down to the uh, some of the trailers that were there and the little, you know, shacks that people were working in or shelters they were working in. It was just, it was very well done, very very well built for the show. That's good. I haven't. Uh, it's been a long time. This, this that uh, the hilltop showed up before issue one hundred, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? 
Yeah, you should you should be aware of it from the comic. I should get caught up. Get off my ass. I have a I have everything that I need to read. I just haven't gotten around to reading past uh, issue one hundred. Well, if we go way back to that early email on this podcast, you need to get through that uh, intense period into the uh, release period, and then you'll have time to read comics. Yeah. Okay. So after retirement, got it. <laughs> Good. Hopefully, it comes sooner than that. All right, uh, where are we? We're at Haley? Yep. Okay, so Haley in Pennsylvania, but originally from Virginia. In the comics, Hilltop was only 20 miles away from Alexandria's safe zone. There, uh, there was a real place in North Carolina called Barrington House that would be about a day's drive from the area of Virginia they live in. I'm assuming that Barrington House is supposed to be just a fictional place that represents one of many similar historical sites all over the Commonwealth. To me, the colony looked too small to be at one of these historical sites. Uh, places like this that I've visited have been rather large, consisting of multiple buildings, like the main house, servants or slave quarters, kitchen, storage buildings, etc. I read online that they actually built Barrington House for the show, so that's not CGI, but the inside is empty. All the indoor scenes were shot on a soundstage. Yep, I read the same thing, at least about them building the house. Um but it's just an empty shell of a house, good for yeah. exterior shots, and then they go inside somewhere for all the inside stuff. Right. That'd be cool to build an exterior of a house. I wonder how long that takes, a construction crew. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't have to build it. I mean, I guess you it have It doesn't to, have to be to code or anything. You well, just, uh, do you think so? I don't know. Like, for a movie no. set, do you have to build a fake house to code? No, God, no. Like, to build it to code, you have to put, like, electrical outlets every six feet or something. Oh, like, true. There's no electricity in that house. It's just a facade. True. So it's not an actual... I guess if it's not a... a a structure meant for living in or actually even being in, then yeah, yeah it, it doesn't require the same sort of code uh, laws and stuff like that. It's not required sure to meet the laws. Yeah, I'm sure there's code for, uh, you know, sets that require indoor filming. Like if you're going to have actors and, uh, you know, support staff in there filming and doing their jobs, that's that falls within certain code guidelines. But this one, is, if, since it's all going to be exterior shots, it's just a construction crew that's ever going to be inside. And if you're wearing, uh, you know, steel-toed shoes and a hard hat, you're fine. Yeah, maybe, no, that makes sense. safety goggles. Or and you have to have glasses. one of those reflective vests, too. Well, that'd be cool. Of which I own two now because I had You to... own two? Can I have one? Yeah, I guess so. I have two. Awesome. I had you have to, a hard hat? I do. I had to buy a hard hat, too. Oh, man, you're so lucky. <laughs> you know, hard hats are not expensive. You could probably go pick one up if you wanted. Yeah, but you need a hard hat. Well, I, I did at the time, yeah, and I might yeah. again. I've never needed a hard hat. Sure. I'm st- I think I've been places where they've provided me a hard hat, but I've never needed a hard hat of my own. I'm surprised you don't own one a little bit, though. I, you know, it's one of those things. Well, I have I have safety gear like uh, earmuffs and safety goggles and that big uh, mask thingy. Sure, that's because you work around your house occasionally. Yeah, I've been thinking about getting one of those full face masks like they had on um, uh, Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. like the the big face mask respirator thing. Com- I think that'd be cool. Complete respirator. Yeah, that's the- like four hundred bucks though. So I know, but it's the safest way to not breathe in dangerous particles or get them in your eyes. And that that's you know, true too. I could make crystal meth in my garage. I don't think you should do that. Well, I have no idea how. Okay, good. But you uh, could. And I would never do it, but I would have the face mask necessary to do it. And that's Perfect. the only aspect of that that I would have or do. Or you could just sand a lot of drywall and not, you know, poison yourself. Yeah, that'd be good too. Yeah. All right. Let's do that. That's a good idea. Uh, next up, we've got Sheila on the internet. It's me, right? Yeah. Sheila says, though, I see what you guys are saying about the awkwardness between Rick and Michonne. I believe that's exactly how the actors were trying to play it. And I absolutely love it. The best friends, when best friends suddenly become lovers, there's an awkward stage that happens when you just don't know how to act towards each other in the normal situations. Rick and Michonne also haven't had a chance to speak to each other in the light of day about what happened between them that night. From Rick talking with Carl, we know that this isn't going to be a one-night stand, but now they have to find their balance with their new relationship status. Yes. And I, I would agree that everything that happened after the, Jesus showed up in their uh, in the bedroom uh, was awkward for character reasons. Mm-hmm. When they started making out on the couch, that was awkward for actor reasons. Right. Okay. So if we can just put that behind us, yeah. we can get back to 
awkward characters, which is fine because, I mean, it's going to be awkward when you start having sex with your roommate. Yeah. With your son in the building, and then a strange guy who calls himself Jesus shows up in the room. Yeah, it's all very weird. It's all very weird. <laughs> the sex was so good, we saw Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it was so great that it summoned Jesus to our room. That's right. That's pretty good sex, I guess. It is pretty good sex. All right, next we have uh, Podkist Ken in Arkansas. You guys missed the point of Maggie talking uh, about the tomatoes to Glenn. They were also talking about how she is not showing during her pregnancy. Glenn assures her uh, it'll be okay. By the end of the episode, they had assurance from the sonogram. Yeah, so there was some subtext to this conversation that I didn't really pick up on. I don't know no, if you did. I totally did not. Yeah, you know, there's nothing growing. There are no buds yet, she says, and uh, she's been pregnant. Well, we have a two-month time jump, and she was pregnant before that, so maybe not more than three months. So, yeah. you know, maybe not showing yet, but... Uh, it wouldn't show until at least... When do, when do women start showing when they're pregnant? Around four or five months? Everyone's different, but yeah, probably after after three for sure. Yeah. And then and then they grow very quickly. <laughs> from, right. From my understanding and my memory of, of <laughs> you know, my wife being pregnant two times. Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, there was some subtext to this conversation that podcast can picked up on and probably a lot of other people but I'm too much of an adult to have caught it. Yeah, I missed it too. But we get to see that word sonogram again. Whereas up here we have it as a uh, what do we call it? We call it an ultrasound. Ultrasound, yeah. That that being said, the terms are interchangeable and I'm pretty sure lots of people in the states say ultrasound too, but uh, sonogram isn't really something we say here. Just It, it sounds like it's a telegram. You know, it's like, but it's sound related. Yeah. It's a, so here, you know, I'm going to send a telegram. See, <laughs> no, that's what it just, it sounds kind of weird to me, but you know, that's just my uh, finicky ears. You're just not used to it. I am not used to it. Okay. Next up is Chris in the UK. Now, Chris has a tendency to send really long emails, chock full of good points. Um, so I whittled his long one from this week down to a couple of points here, and I don't know, we can address them separately, or I can just power through, and we'll see how power it goes. Power through, my friend. Okay, so Chris writes, regarding Maggie, I think Rick did say that Deanna was right about you in reference to her identifying Maggie as leadership material. Actually, now that I think about it, she might be more of a mediator slash negotiator. Also, there was a key line that you didn't reference in our recap. Rick told Maggie to talk to Gregory and said, I shouldn't meaning that Rick knows he lacks the patience not to beat the living crap out of him. <laughs> right. I would personally prefer Maggie to be a diplomat to having Rick's more direct approach to conflict management. So that's well, point we see how his he deals with conflict management. Yeah. You know, he stab him in the neck and let him bleed all over you. Yeah, that's exactly what Chris is saying here. It's yeah. like Rick reacts sometimes badly. Now, the dude did just stab Gregory, so it's not like he just you know, sucker stabbed him and, you know, out of nowhere. Yeah, but, you know, where did his, uh, you know, police subdue skills go? Like, he went straight to stab in the neck. You know, there's there's probably a uh, a whole range of options to uh, diffuse this situation and to deal with it. Uh, and, you know, other than stabbing him in the neck. Yeah. But he didn't really have a choice because, you know, Rick did try and uh, I guess really the fight was uh, going back and forth and the guy had a knife to his throat, mm -hmm. had to, a knife to Rick's throat. So Rick was just uh, saying, you're going to put a knife to my throat and then not pay attention to me. I'm going to stab you in the throat. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's sometimes lethal force is necessary in police work, right? Well, yeah. When and you're, you would know when, that. Yes. When you're addressed with uh, lethal, lethal force, it's okay to uh, respond in kind. That's right. Um, but back to Maggie, I mean, I think this mediator slash negotiator role is probably a good one for her. And it's something that, I mean, does the group really have, do they, do they have someone who is able to talk to a situation rather than, you know, be violent towards a situation <laughs> rather than beat the situation up? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's, it may be something they need. And this is a, a good role for Maggie to step into. That's true. Okay, so Chris goes on regarding stuff in the episode that is there just to be cool. He says, 
You can imagine a theater full of people cheering at Rick's what? And the same group enjoying Abe's one-liners. It's pure crowd-pleasing. And you know what? I'm okay with that. But there are and should be limits. The cool bit shouldn't also be the way they survive a situation. Maybe the rocket launcher attack on the motorbike gang offended here, but I think they get away with it uh, there because they introduced the RPG in a timely manner so it didn't just come out of nowhere. It's similar to their uncanny ability to make headshots. I can live with it up to the point where that's the only way to survive, which I don't think it ever has been. It shouldn't be at the expense of a character. The Abraham stuff doesn't bother me. I can accept that he just has an odd way of expressing himself, but it's a judgment call. It does bother Chris, meaning me, so for you, the rule is broken. Everything in moderation, including moderation, I think this is also where Chris struggles with Abe, uh, when there's too much of it. Again, that's a personal judgment call. For me, they haven't crossed the line yet, uh, but I could see why others feel differently. Uh, I think Abe just needs some regular person dialogue instead of some weird one-liner dialogue. That's all. That's all I want. Yeah, I, I liken it to uh, to Johnny Depp. I like Johnny Depp as an actor, but every once in a while he's got to play a human. He does not play a human enough. It's it's funny you bring him up because I, uh, maybe not often, but I have spoken about Johnny Depp more than once with different people and said how I just can't stand him anymore because he doesn't play, like he plays caricatures. He plays wacky, crazy characters that have no sort of basis in reality. Yeah, everything's Edward Scissorhands or uh, Captain Jack Sparrow or... Uh, the guy from that movie with the candy factory. Willy Wonka, the, yeah. Willy Wonka. It's just, you know, play a normal dude. Like, even his normal dudes are wacky dudes. Yeah. Right? There was that movie where he was playing that guy that was a weird detective. Well, I don't think you're thinking of Black Mass, but that's the one no, he's in this that's year. that's the most recent one. Yeah. I haven't seen that yet. But, uh, yes, so even that, that's, that's a more normal dude like everything's in a, in a normal situation not like jack sparrow's in a fantastical situation or willy wonka which is in a willy wonka movie but uh, this uh, black mass he's supposed to be uh, a real person in a real situation but i bet you he hams it up yeah and i and that's the feeling i got from watching trailers for that movie it's the same thing i i can't i used to like johnny depp but i can't stand him anymore because he doesn't play yeah. Uh, relatable characters, in my opinion. Yeah. So just dial it back a little bit yeah. for a little while. Let's ground ourselves. So this is the same with the uh, Abraham dialogue. Just dial it back. Let's ground ourselves in reality for a little bit. And if you want to spike up and talk about weird Bisquick and uh, how that relates to uh, making babies, that's fine. But don't have seven of those in one episode. That's all I ask. Yeah. You know, do do a couple per season and then make them a real character the rest of the time. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, Eugene, on the other hand, leave him as is. <laughs> yeah. Because he's not in all the episodes, and he's not even in, even in the episodes that he's in, he's not in very much. But when he, so it's not all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just, uh, he says his, uh, his weird and wacky lines and his weird, uh, odd way of speaking, and that just shows up every now and again, and it's entertaining. But it's different, too, because that's, he doesn't speak. I mean, he speaks like a real human being who has an unusual personality. Abraham doesn't speak like a real person. He speaks in no. one-liners, right? And he speaks in weird, funny one-liner metaphors. Whereas Eugene gets his point across, he, he says directly what he means. And a lot of people actually do talk like that, right? Yeah. He has an idea. He needs them to go get sorghum. He says, you have to go get sorghum. It has these benefits. He outlines his point. That's how people talk, even though he has an unusual way of presenting himself. Yeah. And Abraham's supposed to be a uh, a really experienced military dude, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. The military dude would not carry his weapon on his shoulder like that. If uh, if I was in basic training and I put my uh, tried to rest my assault rifle on my shoulder or point it up in the air, uh, somebody would come after me with a stick, <laughs> bashing me on the helmet, saying, you're not in a Rambo movie. You don't carry your weapon like that. You carry it pointed down all the time? You point it, you hold on to it uh, close to your chest so that you have it at the ready. If it's up, pointed way up in the air and all of a sudden something happens, you've got 15 seconds of getting your shit together before you can do anything. And by then you're dead. 
by then you're dead. So yeah, sure, it may look cool, but people who are actually in the military don't carry their weapons like that. Right. Well, and I'm willing to go on, out on a limb and say that because I was in the military and I've seen people try and carry their weapons like that and they got hit with sticks. Yep. I, I hear that's the <laughs> discipline method of choice in the military. Club a guy well, you, with a stick. You don't hit him. You hit him on the helmet though, where it doesn't hurt because they're not allowed to hurt you. Really? Really. That's You're, not the feeling they, I get. No, they can't, uh, in Canada anyway, when we were in basic training, they were not allowed to hit us. They were not allowed to hurt us. And any exercise that we had to do for an extended period of time, they had to do as well. Anything over 10 push-ups, if someone gave you 20 push-ups, they had to do them with you. Really? It's So they're just allowed to emotionally destroy you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, you know, run you around in circles for hours and hours and hours. But, you know, they've been doing this for years and you're in basic training. You've basically put your shoes on for the first time in uh, your whole life. And all of a sudden you're running 60 kilometers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're going to run into the ground. But if they're, they're in way better shape than we ever were. Sure. They've, they've already done all this and paid their dues. That's their whole job. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. All right. So sidetrack there. So next we have Paul in Bakersfield. When Jesus said there were 54 people, I think he's talk, talking about Jesus in the show. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So when Jesus said that there were 54 people, I think he may have been gathering information. Based on the size of the community, I think Jesus may have guessed at how many people might be living in Alexandria. A great way to interrogate someone is to claim to have more knowledge than uh, more knowledge than you do, and let people fill in the blanks for you. Jesus could have inferred uh, the group and weapons from guards carrying assault rifles and Rick and Daryl casually wasting two bullets to kill one walker. Jesus could also infer that the group needs food because they don't have any obvious crops. Uh, and they were breaking into vending machines, and they chased after him to get a food truck back. Using these inferences, he may have just gotten uh, the group to confirm his suspicions regarding food and weapons uh, while somewhat correcting his estimate about the Alexandria population. He's a smart, crafty fellow. That's He's bluffing. what Paul is saying, and he was bluffing. He was feeding unknown or incorrect or unconfirmed information so that somebody would respond with the actual information. It right. is a classic technique, I think, to get information out of someone, to basically trick them into telling you something. It's almost a trope. <laughs> almost. But if you're, if you're smart enough, you can do this in real life. Okay, so if he wasn't walking around uh, gathering information about the group, what was he doing, standing in the bedroom of uh, Rick and Michonne for hours? Because uh, he was doing this all night. Yeah, no, that's what he was doing. He was walking around at night gathering information. And then he went to the bedroom because he felt like he had enough info. But, so, uh, so he went in there to, like, wake them up and start his tricky conversation. But Paul was saying that uh, maybe he didn't go around and look at the armory and count the people. Maybe he was just, uh, he inferred all of that from information that he got prior to being thrown into the, uh, oh. uh, into the, into the prison. So he broke out of prison, went right up into the bedroom of uh, Rick and Michonne, sat there for <laughs> a couple of hours until, you know, early morning, maybe crawled into bed with them and had a little nap, mm -hmm. you know, tucked in between them. My cat does that with me and my wife every now and again. Not so yeah. weird for the cat to do it. No, the cat just wants to get warm mm -hmm. and doesn't want to sleep at the foot of the bed because we'll, uh, we'll kick her multiple times right. by accident. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe he did that and then he's like, okay, now that I've had a good sleep and I'm all nice and warm, I'm going to wake them up. Got it. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. You're right. He didn't actually go and gather his own information. He inferred it based on the things that Paul was saying. So what was he doing all night? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I see. Um, I didn't really think of it that way. That's weird. Makes him even more weird, but I still say he's a crafty, uh, smart individual. Creepy. Creepy, crafty, smart individual Jesus. <laughs> Wasn't that a Depeche Mode song? <laughs> Probably. No, that's my own personal Jesus. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. And that was not from the West Wing. Nope, definitely not. Thank you, Paul. Next up is Jaeger in Atlanta, Georgia. He writes, The way Rick just looked around and said, What? Nonchalantly after stabbing some guy in the neck? I think Rick is going to be taking the crown from Ash J. Williams when it comes to blood pouring over his face all the time. <laughs> what is an Ash J. Williams? Ashley... James, I think, Williams, uh, also known as Ash from Evil Dead. Oh, okay. His last name is Williams. I didn't know and that. And he often gets blood poured all over him because that's part of the Evil Dead thing. I should watch that. 
you should watch the show. I, give it a chance. Did you, you watch the first one? I watched most of the first one. Well, watch it. It's well. I can tell you that recently my wife has expressed interest. Really, and so uh, I think I would enjoy watching it uh, with her more than I would watch it by myself. I can see that it's it's a bit of a crowd pleaser of a show, right? I got to watch it and then did the Evil Dead cast with uh, Jason and Rich over there on their network, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to watch it, think about it, and then talk, just chat with those guys about it. So um, you should listen to the podcast and you should watch the show. Cool. All right. I'll add it to my list of things to do once I hit the uh, relaxed part of my life. Once you're in retirement. Why not? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. So next we have Angie in Birmingham. How in the hell can you not remember the what scene from the comic? One of the most iconic panels in the whole comic series, nailed absolutely perfectly by Andy Lincoln. So here's the thing, Angie. I have read... All of the comics, I'm a couple issues behind, but I've read this, you know, this section of it. Um, I was a little down on the comic during some of this stuff, you know, in this section. So I don't remember it as well as some of the rest of it. The rest of the comic I've read two or three times over. This section I've only read the one single time when it came out, which was uh, a number of years ago already. So I don't remember it as well as I should have, but she sent a picture of the comic panel and, you know, Rick's face from the TV show. And yeah, sure. It looks great. It's covered in blood. And he says, what? Um, And uh, they did do a very good job recreating that. The other point I have though, is not everything translates from the comic page to the TV show perfectly. And not everything should be attempted to translate perfectly. Right. Um, Sometimes different mediums require different touches, like artistic touches, right? And just because it works great in the comic doesn't mean it works great on a TV show or on the screen. So um, in this case, you know, maybe it's up in the air as to whether it worked really well or not. I didn't go back and read the sort of context around this in the the comic, but um, just recreating a single panel like that, and that's what you're going for in the TV show, I'm not 100% convinced, and it's just me, that's, that's always a recipe for success. Right. So I I'd agree with that. So uh anyways, I you know, watching it again, I'm not I wasn't as sort of uh put off. I mean, put off is not the right word because I didn't think it was that bad, but it did seem a little out of place at first, but once I watched it again, I was more okay with it. Okay, good. So maybe you, go. you need to watch the show 10, 15 times before we do the podcast. Yeah, if I didn't have a day job, I could do that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so there you go. Okay, finey, finally. Finey. Finey. We have an email from Pulley in Buffalo, New York. Have you guys noticed the similarities between the last episode and The Wizard of Oz? Mm. Jesus, the good witch, leads our gang down the muddy road to Hillside, the Emerald City. I think he, I think he means Hilltop, the Emerald City. Complete with a castle. Greeted by inept guards with spears. They have to wash up before meeting a fraud who has the whole community duped into believing he's a leader. The wizard will grant our gang's wishes for food if they bring him the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West, which is Negan's life. So now, after all that, someone will still will have the ability to go home again the whole time. So we have to have the ruby slippers show up at some point. Somebody will tap their heels together and say there's no place like home, and end up there. All right, so now we have to name the characters. So uh, we have we know who Dorothy is. Well, Dorothy's, uh, Dorothy's Rick, Ma- right? Dorothy's Maggie. No, I think, isn't Dorothy Rick? I mean, Wizard of Oz, spoilers. <laughs> Dorothy <laughs> is the one that gets uh, uh, knocked out in the, in the tornado and imagines the entire Wizard of Oz thing. And Rick is the one who got knocked out in the hospital, and now is imagining the entire zombie apocalypse. Yeah, but Dorothy grew up on a farm, and so did Maggie. Yeah, but I don't think that's enough. I think it's it's character but, experience. But, but Glenn is Toto. <laughs> <laughs> so you're basing it all around the dog. <laughs> no, but see, if Rick is Dorothy, then then uh, Carl is Toto. Okay. Well, Clark, Carl didn't come on the trip to the Wizard of Oz, but Toto did. Yeah, that's true. 
but I don't know. <laughs> Who's the Tin Man? All right. So, well, that uh, Tin well, Man. That's, that's who I was thinking Rick was. I think Rick was the Tin Man. Because he doesn't have I a think, heart. And I think uh, Abraham is the Cowardly Lion and uh, Daryl is Scarecrow. Okay. Scarecrow didn't have a brain. That's Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> Abraham the scarecrow did have a brain that's the that's the, the whole point of the wizard of oz was that everybody okay. always had everything they needed of course but you know, they, the they... scarecrow was the smartest one he was the only one that ever came up with ideas and he was looking for a brain right but, okay that's true but it's they they had to find they had to realize the fact that they had everything they needed so yeah. abraham you know he's having troubles of the heart in this episode right now so maybe he's the tin man that could be, you know. I picked a picture of him more as the cowardly lion, though. Maybe, maybe, but the cowardly lion, you know, he didn't have any courage. I mean, I know he didn't come on the trip, but that's but he. Close, you know, Abraham can't uh, can't decide between Rosita and uh, uh, what's her name. Well, he couldn't. He didn't have the courage to make the decision until he got choked out, and then he found his courage. Yeah. Okay, so that that kind of works too. So there's some Wizard of Oz parallels here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, then we just have to start drawing the, the parallels between The Wizard of Oz and Star Wars. Yes, but we Because they're pretty much the same movie. Could probably... <laughs> yeah, well, we could, we could probably keep doing this uh, for a yeah, long time. That's true. Um, anyways, interesting stuff. Uh, didn't you compare the whole thing to... Oh, the, the Magnificent Seven last time. Yeah, it was The Magnificent Seven. So. But that's only based on uh, a very cursory understanding of what the hell The Mag- Magnificent Seven was all about. <laughs> there were seven of them. Yeah, and there were seven people, and they had to. They were uh, hiring themselves out uh, to help out with the defense of uh, someplace, yeah, probably. Yeah, offer protection. All right. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much to everyone who wrote and called in. Um, we love getting your feedback, and we love doing these feedback shows because it's 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 a lot of fun to get everyone else's perspective and ideas and thoughts and stuff like that. Um, it's uh, it's very very cool. Um, next episode of The Walking Dead is going to be called "Not Tomorrow Yet." So I. Made a note of that this time so that if you want to read that title and record yourself reading it, you should do so and send it in to us so we can play it on Monday when we recap that episode. So it's called mm. Not Tomorrow Yet. And uh, I look forward to getting some title reads of that one. That, of course, will be on Sunday night and we'll record our episode on Monday. So you have until sort of, you know, mid-afternoon, early evening on Monday to send those in to us. Please do. Um, otherwise though, if you want to get in touch, you can send us email to talking at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead. Visit us on Twitter at talking dead or go to talking and click on send voicemail to use the, uh, to use your computer with a microphone to record your message right in and it'll come straight to us. Um, if you can use our Amazon links talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon and visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the talking dead. Anything else, Jason, before we call it a night? Uh, no, I'm good. You are good. I am also good. So until next time, everyone, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. I love you. Bye. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> <laughs>